You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will thrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Welcome to the GFR show. I have a question as I like to always kick us off with. And my question today is, do you believe everything happens for a reason? It's really a central theme to the show when you think about it, because we're operating under the premise that these stories of struggle are preludes to purpose and mission and fulfillment in life. And that's one of the things that keeps me going with the show is that if you are experiencing a shit storm in your life, that uh, perhaps listening to the show will have you have hope that it's, it's for a reason, it's for a purpose, that it, you will be able to make sense of it at some point. So today's guest is no stranger to that scenario. Her name is Vivian Glick, and She is a recognized leader in global issues facing health, education, leadership, and particularly the vulnerability of adolescent girls and women around the world, Africa, India, United States. And she didn't come to this by accident. She came to this through her own a traumatic childhood experiences that, you know, when the time was right in her adulthood, this is how the expression of her life purpose became clear. I love our conversation. I heard, I've known Vivian for a long time. Uh, she is a, a best friend of uh, one of my best friends. And so we've known each other, but we haven't spent a lot of time in one-on-one conversation. So I selfishly, <laughs> when I saw her a few months ago, I selfishly invited her on the show because I wanted to hear more. I've been in uh, many fundraising events and experiences where her Just Like My Child Foundation was being featured as the beneficiary. So I've heard her sort of origin story of how she birthed her foundation. And I've attended some of her fundraisers, even took Bella to one of the fundraisers. But uh, this time, this time I wanted to I wanted to hear more. And that's the luxury of the show is for our guests is that they get a lot more time to share their story. So it is quite a journey that she takes us on, starting with uh, her parents surviving the Holocaust and then uh, immigrating here and growing up in uh, in the, I think it's Upper East Side of Manhattan. So you're going to hear a lot more of her background and how she really came to be the founder of a global foundation. So I can't wait for you to go on, go on the journey that is in Vivian's life along with me. Enjoy. Miss Vivian, welcome to the GFR show. Hello. Hello. I should say Mrs. Vivian. I've been watching Downton Abbey. I've been totally binging it. And I have all this British formality and like, it's just like, I can't get out of my head. And they had very proper things for Miss and Mrs. And I should probably call you like Lord or Queen or something because goddess. Okay. You got it. Goddess Vivian. Welcome to the GFR show. (laughs) So happy to be here. (laughs) 
I'm so happy to have you here. So as everybody heard in the intro, you and I have been friends adjacent for a really long time. And we had an occasion to hang out in June for my birthday when our mutual friend, Lisa Sasevich, took us out on a cruise. That was so nice. And our kids were together and that was just so cool. And I said, you need to come on my show. And you said, I want to be on your show. And the rest is history, as they say. So I'm glad we were able to work this out. Yeah, super exciting. That was a great day. <laughs> it was a great day. It was like one of the first sort of like quote unquote normal days for me in this whole pandemic experience. And yeah, it was like, and I love being on the water. That's one of my favorite places to be. Yeah, you always forget that about San Diego. <laughs> I know. Well, we, we have this advantage of living where people vacation, but like it takes like, you know, every six months or so I'm like, oh, I live where people vacation, you know, I have to get reminded of it. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. And as a a founder of this global organization that you've created and in the fundraising and the publicity, like you share your story a lot. It's like, this is the origin story of the organization. And I know that you're here to get to share stuff that maybe you don't usually have time to share or get to go, you know, in in depth about. And so I'm, I'm really excited for people to maybe to get to know some things about you that they didn't know and get to know you better. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, and I mean, just even in creating an origin story or coming clean about your story, I think that's such a huge opportunity for anybody to be able to do. And, um, and so, like you said, I tell the story over and over, but for me to even get to that point was a huge leap of trust that I would be accepted for it. Yeah, that's a good thing to remind. Yeah. 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 Like people, you weren't even sure if people would care. Yeah. Cause I'm doing this, all this work. I want to talk about the work. I there was definitely a long period of time where I never talked about myself or any of the why, um, because I was so convinced that I had to prove why the work we were doing was so important. And it wasn't until I came clean about my story that I really was able to build the organization ultimately. I love that. I love that you shared that because here on the GFR show, sharing traumatic stories and origin stories is sort of like our norm. And I never forget that it takes something. But I I think I came with a preconceived notion about you that like, because I've seen that's who I know is the person that just shared, you know, that openly shares their story. So I think it's a good reminder to us that even when we see people that seem comfortable, that it probably took something for them to get there to start to tell that story. Well, and I think also it's a huge opportunity for growth to realize that story is, especially in business, is what connects us all. Totally. I mean, this whole show was inspired by like, let's normalize the struggle that see that in my observation in my 20 years seems to be required of people that are doing great things in the world. Like they've been through shit. They got to go through shit. They got to talk about the shit, you know, to, to really move on to birth, like the next iteration. And then that, and that experience, how that really fuels it. I wanted to normalize that because when you're in the shit, it sucks and you can't make sense of it. And you don't know what it's all for. And it could feel, you know, very disorienting and very like disheartening. And so, you know, that's really the intention of the show is to, to share stories so that people know that their story has meaning and will have even more meaning than they could possibly even imagine. Yeah, that's beautiful. I want to go back <laughs> to somewhat of the beginning of your story and your childhood, because I think that people's backgrounds matter and we're all so diverse in our backgrounds. And it so makes us who we are today, whether it's I'm going to make sure that I am not my parents or I'm going to be different than my experience or I'm not going to let that hold me back or whether we kind of use it as inspiration and say, I want more of that. or I want to be more of that. So where do you feel like you fall in, in sort of that scenario? In terms of my childhood? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think like you were saying, I think a lot of my childhood was like, oh, this is like an eternal tornado. I don't know how the hell I'm going to get out of it. But, you know, and looking back on it, there were so many things that, A, of course, made me who I am and kind of put the drive and purpose in me and then really contributed to who I am, like 
in terms of cultural awareness. Yeah, no, I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all good. You know, I, this, you know, especially living in the time we're in, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger for sure. <laughs> I think any part of my childhood I could point to and say that all made me stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Take us to a part where at the time you didn't know it was going to be for good. Oh, um, that's a really good question. So I think one of the things is I grew up in on the Upper West Side, what was considered Spanish Harlem at the time. My that's first, in New York, everybody, for those of you that don't I'm know that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, from, I'm back east, so Upper West Side, I immediately know what you're talking about. In Manhattan. Manhattan. <laughs> Yeah, my parents were both refugees from World War II. They both survived the Holocaust and they weren't in concentration camps themselves, but wow. they scooted around Europe avoiding the Nazis and the Gestapo at every single opportunity. I have no extended family as a result of something that happened, you know, almost a hundred years ago, well, 80, 80 plus years ago, you know, my, I, I always, I always say that the Holocaust never ended because in my family, there was so much trauma that was not addressed at all. You know, it's basically like I was living with two Anne Franks, you know, yeah. <laughs> that had lost so much were taken out of school, were, you know, just lost every part of the foundation that they had in terms of a home, going to school, the grocery store, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what I was born into. And on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, where there was just an enormous amount of diversity also. And we were very, you know, I do talk about this in my origin story. We were, we were very poor. We ended up on, on Medicaid and on food stamps. And I've got to say the safety net in this country really taught me an awful lot about being able to give people a hand up. I won't go into it, but I did have an injury when I was nine or 10 years old. And without Medicaid, I, I, would, I would have lost my leg. I mean, that was a whole nother uh, sort of education of Vivian, you know, just all these pieces were in my head. But I think that the part that really got the most interesting for me was I went to public school until I was in fifth grade and I was the tallest kid. I was the youngest kid. I had skipped a couple of grades and <laughs> somehow these bullies decided that because I was younger it meant that I was stupid and I had been left back. So I had gotten picked on even more. And finally, my parents figured out how to get me into a private school. And then here I was, this very poor girl in a very elite situation, having an awful lot going on at home that I had to hide yeah. from, from the rest of the world. And, and I think that those moments of... I don't quite know if it was an imposter syndrome, but to your point of like, how am I going to manage this? How am I even going to like negotiate this situation of showing up in a peer group where that really is nothing like me and negotiating that with this like never ending tornado going on at home where, you know, I had a father who was alcoholic. He was the original opioid addict you know, yes. way, back, way back when he had extreme insomnia. Um, and so he was experimenting with all of these medications that doctors were freely giving him. And then, um, you know, he, he was sexually molested me for many years from the time I was four until I was 14. So in the midst of, hey, uh, I'm the new kid, I'm going to show up and, you know, be like all of you. Uh, it, was, it was definitely a very, you know, it's like today, I just own that girl so much you know, who I needed to become in order to evolve and get out of there. And then, but then, you know, the flip side of it is my being Jewish parents, they were like very Jewish parents. It was all about getting me, in, <laughs> you know, I had the Jewish mother. Um, it was all about getting me into a great school. It was all about 
being productive. It was all about having curiosity about the world. And so it, and, and I got an inordinate amount of love and attention. Those were they were seemingly paradoxical, but I do think that's what kept me sane was having a really, just a lot of love. I was never too much love, uh, too much attention, but maybe the wrong kind of love for sure. But I think those are the things that definitely have informed me quite a bit. Um, yes, I imagine they would, yes. Yeah, I can't imagine what it must have been like for fifth grade Vivian. And that's that intermediate school, that age is, as we know, as parents, it's like as people, like that's where we start to really kind of figure out who we are. You know, there's the individuation and the beliefs and and then, of course, the insecurities that accompany it. And for you to be kind of living a double life, you know, by day, private school, you know, student and by night, you know, eternal tornado. I can't imagine the stress. (laughs) That's a really good point. It definitely was a double life. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So thank you for that. You said you you lived in that that Upper West Side at the time was super diverse. You know, I'm doing uh, a lot of work uh, for my with myself around my own social justice and racial equality values and a lot of study. And I'm just I feel called to ask what it was like to be in a diverse neighborhood, you know, with, you know, Jewish parents who survived the Holocaust. How did they hold in your viewpoint, people from other races? Well, you know, they call New York the melting pot. And I think that's one of the one of the great things about New York. And I think it's one of the reasons that I ended up, you know, being called to Africa. And I honestly don't know how to answer that question because that was my community. Like it was yeah. my neighborhood. We were, at the time, the issues about race and equality were more about housing and, you know, the, how the landlords were taking care of the buildings and, you know, how to get the public school system to serve all of the kids. Because we were all in it together. <laughs> there was no... Separation. Separation. So, you know, my, it was like we were just in, in this ocean. Maybe I was an orange fish and there was a yellow fish or, but it was like, hey, hey, we're all in the same ocean. And my mother ended up going back to, uh, she, when, you know, she was out of school from third grade until she came to the U.S. And then because of the Holocaust and, and then she ended up getting a graduate, you know, her GED, and then she went to college and she got two master's degrees. And wow. she, she started teaching in the public school that I was going to. And I mean, all of her colleagues were Puerto Rican or Dominican or Black or, so I just grew up loving these women like they were my other mothers. That was it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and yeah. And, you know, like we were talking about at the beginning, it kind of like could go either way. You people that were persecuted, like your parents could either embrace other people that are persecuted and were different and be like, hey, you know, we're all in this together, or they could have gone another way. They could have huddled up and not spoken to other people that look different or were different or, you know, as people that are different for whatever reason, there's comfort in being it with the same. And when you experience discrimination or persecution or racism, it could affect you. I think it could affect you in lots of different ways. So I'm glad to hear that you had that experience of kind of feeling like we're all in this together and obviously contributed to how you are showing up for, you know, world hunger and, and girl power, your girl power project and all of that. So I think that was a pivotal choice. Uh, I don't know if it was a conscious choice on their part, but it was a pivotal choice they made that impacted you. Well, I think at the time we were just like, I, I mean, honestly, I think it was just like we were all in it together. You know, it's like there was so much immigration. There were so many different pots of you know, of refugees and then people who had been there already that it was a lot of a shared experience. And 
I, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I, I envision the world, you know, I, I mean, I, I just one aside, I read, you know, I was very, I was very young, but I remember the day that Martin Luther King was murdered and my brother was just about to be bar mitzvahed and we were, you know, just, he was rehearsing and we came out of the little, little synagogue that we belong to, <laughs> the Association of the Yugoslav Jews Living in the United States of America. That was the name of- Well, that's catchy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and you know, there were there were people there were people crying at the bus stop. You know, we were waiting for the bus and there were people and we were like, what happened? And this woman told us, and we were all crying, you know, mm. all like just a collective experience of the moment we were in in the country, you know, with the civil rights movement and living in the Northeast and and all of that was very, very pivotal. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story. Yeah, such a vivid picture of thoughts and the the culture of where you were at the time. Yeah, Manhattan, I imagine, is was you know a different place than being in the South at the time. And glad your parents wound up there, and you know you got to have that diverse experience. How did uh, fifth grade Vivian get along in this private school? Did she go through that whole through that private school till graduation? And what was that like? <laughs> Oh, I was in that school for six years I, until 11th grade. I was there through 10th grade and speaking about discrimination and like it's for everybody. So I was there on a, I was there on a full scholarship, which was the only way that we could afford for me to be there. And um, it was very difficult. It was very, very challenging for me. One of the things that they did for children who were on full scholarship was you were required to work at the school. So depending on how much scholarship you had determined how much you needed to work. So here you are in a situation with uber wealthy kids. Let's just make you stand out even more. <laughs> Well, there, I mean, it's a complete separation, right? Right. You can leave right at the end of the day, or they have to stay for another two hours. And I mean, I had to work probably maybe six or seven, you know, whatever the sessions were, 45 minute sessions during the week. So I had to like find this in my or they found it in my schedule. So when I got my schedule, my work was in there, you know, whether it was helping out in the office or in the attendance room or whatever. And so all of my friends were the other poor kids, right? <laughs> we were hanging out together. It was, yeah, like, how could they do that? <laughs> Looking back at that now, things, things that would never happen today. That was very, that was very difficult. That, that was a very like, nouveau riche group um so a lot of a lot of the kids there just did not they didn't really have any class but i did end up getting into another school that i ended up graduating high school from and that was columbia grammar preparatory school which is now one of the most sought after schools in manhattan i went there like on a 70 percent scholarship or 80 percent there was no work study there you know i mean they were just very far more conscious parents and kids there. And that's where I ended up graduating from. But that's really where the shit hit the fan in my, in my life and in my personal life. And, you know, my, I don't, I don't talk about it that much, but my, I have two older brothers and I think that they were like a little bit of a counter strike force in my house in that you know, the crazier my father got, he was intimidated by having two big guys there, even though he did what he could to alpha them. But when they both went to college and I was with my mom and my father alone is when my father like really got let out of the cage. And um, he got very violent with my mother and uh, threatened to, he had a hatchet that he was walking around the house with and he was threatening to murder her. And uh, I don't know that it ever would have happened. He was a high drama, very, very intelligent guy, but it, you know, he just got more and more agitated. And I, I ended up, we ended up basically running away in, you know, I was wearing my pajamas and in the, in the New York city subway system, you know, and just absolutely, 
terrified that this guy who had this like Bengali uh, power over us was going to find us. Like that was when you had a phone attached to the wall. <laughs> right, like they're unlikely that he would find you. But we were not walking away with a you know find me device. It was unbelievable how much power he had over us, and uh, we ended up running away. We holed up in a YMCA, like a CD YMCA downtown, and put the all the furniture in front of the the door. When I look back on it, like how could he have possibly tracked us? It was unbelievable. And that was kind of the, the beginning of a big change in my life. But that was happening just as soon as I got into this even more elite private school. Oh my gosh. In 11th grade, I was 14 and one thing led to the other. And he, after a couple of months, he came and abducted me from school and uh, it was a really crazy experience. And he tried to sort of more of this like sexual abuse. And I just ended up running away. And that, that, that was kind of probably the most seminal moment in my life where he finally fell asleep. He, he literally, he was so drugged out. He just like fell over me and fell asleep. And I got out and went to the you know, went to, we had those big heavy doors in New York with a police bar in them that make all this noise when you open it. And I just like so gingerly opened this door, you know, terrified that he's going to be there and got, you know, finally closed the door behind me. And I just took off like a uh, bat out of hell down six flights of stairs. I ran for four blocks to this pizzeria that I knew I had a payphone in it and I called my mother and um, I said we are getting me protection this will not happen to me again that was it we went to the association for the prevention of cruelty to children he received a summons I'm not sure he ever got a restraining order because you know really when you when you when you call a coward out they you know all of a sudden they just kind of disintegrate. And, um, you know, stuff happened after that. But I think that was probably the moment that got me, you know, many years later to be standing in Uganda, watching a group of girls being explained what is sexual abuse, and then they're understanding it. And one of our team asked them, how many of you have experienced it? And every girl, 17 girls in a circle, raised their hand. And it turned out one teacher had been abusing them for many years. And I was like, oh, oh, I know what this is like. I know what it's like to be blamed for being the victim, you know, to be the one who made it happen. And then I also know what it's like to have a justice system that's on your side. And I couldn't imagine what it felt like for them to have nobody coming to help them ever, to not have a justice system that would stand up for them, to be continuously told to be quiet and to suppress what was happening to them and that it was just okay. It's just the way it is. So, I mean, that was, you know, I call it just like my child foundation. We haven't even gotten to talk about the organization, but you know, there's so many layers to it. So your questions about story are so, um, so pertinent. Yes. Thank you for sharing that very vivid and heart-wrenching and pivotal story from your life. I just see that young girl at the pizza shop on the payphone telling her mom, that's it. We're getting me protection. Like what a just bold, strong statement and bravo to your mother <laughs> as well. I can't imagine what that must have been like. And, and then hearing who she is today and her degrees and what she's accomplished, like you're both pretty badass, you and she. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's a, she's a different, uh, she's a different recipe than I am, but I admire so much of her just like evenness, you know, and sort of patience and just self-containment. <laughs> mm, self-containment. Interesting word. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, you know, and when you think about what she lived through, you know, after third grade and just, I, I can't even imagine. So, you know, Lisa, it's all, it's like all a shit show until you see it. <laughs> three generations later, you know, my, my mother now has, she's 89 and she's just rocking it. And she has five great grandchildren. Wow. <laughs> You know, some of who are, you know, will at this point remember her no matter what. But, you know, even for my son, who just went to college, he had the opportunity to interview her like as though she was part of like Spielberg Shoah Foundation because nobody came to interview my mom. It's changed his whole life transformed his whole understanding of the world and my nieces and nephews also. So in a moment now where we're looking at things like, you know, diversity and inclusion, everything that's going on in terms of the pandemic and people's reactions and whatever to it, it's, there's something that's really valuable about a historical perspective and the responses and that there's a longevity to it because not to go off on this, but could you imagine when we're looking at like, oh, how are our lives going to be upended by all of this and have they been upended, et cetera. But could you imagine being in a situation and it happens to so many people around the world where your way of life, which is so amazing and beautiful and cherished and you have access to food and education and family is completely torn out from under you would you be able to imagine that there was a time where that in the future where there would be peace and a coming together and a a common ground for civilization or where you live to have and for a democracy to guarantee your freedom and Like, I'm sure when she was seven years old and the shit was hitting the fan, it was like, this is it. Yeah. There is no morning after. So I think we're going to have a morning after. (laughs) We are going to have a morning after. We are. And I really appreciate the perspective. And it's so much of what I'm about. You know, I believe everything happens for a reason or there's a reason for everything that happens however you want to put it it sounds Pollyanna and and I just say you know what it just it makes me feel better about life uh I will not be going insane you know or doing anything drastic because of that belief it serves me and like every story that we share on the show confirms it you know that it all does have a purpose and and when we are in the depth of it like if I I am Jewish too. I'm not super religious. I'm much more spiritual. I kind of consider myself more culturally Jewish, but I'm very, very spiritual. And I feel like the most foundational spiritual principle I have is that if this is happening, it's supposed to be happening, period. If this is happening, there's a reason, there's a purpose. And sometimes it's the only thing that keeps me from, I'm not going to use any, uh, hyperbole metaphors here because there's lots of people that have tried to commit suicide and and all that we've talked about on the show but like it's those moments like that if I didn't have that it would be really really dark if I didn't have that belief and so I I just so appreciate your reflection of that your your life experience of it thank you just for sharing all of those vivid moments And then there you are in your beautiful San Diego home, one of two San Diego homes, you know, and kid in private college and like all the trappings of success as our last guest said her, she she was a, you know, she was a successful eye surgeon and completely depressed, right? It's like you have these trappings of success, but it really doesn't mean anything outside of the experience that you have of it and in it. Exactly. Yeah. So I want to talk a bit about the birth of just like my child. And so Vivian gets to go to college (laughs) and has some level of safety. I imagine in your life that you didn't have before and you get married. And I imagine there's sort of like a vision for what you wanted your life to be. (laughs) There was a big, big gap in between. Yes. (laughs) Feel free to fill in what you would like. (laughs) I like that story. I'm going to go with it. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. What was your question? (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, the foundation that you created that you've had so much success with was birthed after trying to have a child for a long time. And so if you could just just take us to like just before that, like, but you know, the life that you had and the career that you had. And I imagine that awesome things like creating a foundation happen when something happens, right? Something happens to inspire that or create an opening for it. So if you could just share a little bit more about sort of who you were, where you were, and then how the universe invited you to create the foundation. Yeah, sure. So I, I, I went to college. I, <laughs> I had a couple of careers. Most of my most of my background ended up being in healthcare and healthcare marketing. And I ended up after, you know, many permutations of hitting the glass ceiling in corporate environments and not being exactly cut from the cloth of being the good soldier in <laughs> You had things to say, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I just, I ended up working for amazing people. I worked for Deepak Chopra. I was director of marketing for his live educational events. I started my own business, Glick Communications, and had incredible clients. And you know, so I was like really on my own path, but I knew for sure that I wanted to have a family. I wanted to get married and one thing led to the other. And I was really called, this is a whole nother story we'll talk about another time, but I, I was ta- I was called to go to Greece. I just, I, I started to really feel and understand that in terms of spirituality that, you know, we do carry all this wisdom and stories and archetypes of all of the human experience. And I became very drawn to the Greek goddess myth and archetypes and, you know, how as women, we go through these cycles and passages in our lives where we get to sort of try on all of these different parts of ourselves. And, you know, we war with those internal parts because we, we feel as though it's, we've got to be you know, the good wife or the good mother or the business person, or how do we negotiate all of these things? And so I, I became very, very interested in the pantheon of Greek goddesses and started to write a book about it. And then I went to Greece and to find these goddesses and I, um, <laughs> as one does, <laughs> I, you know, I had the opportunity to so it and um, there I was. I'll just tell you this little aside. So, you know, there's one, there's this one goddess, Artemis. She's really, she really is the woman who runs with the wolves. You know, she's the, she's the wild side. She's like a a extreme protector of, of women. Turns out, I mean, I did not know this at the time of young girls. um, Oh, wow. (laughs) She's the one who's like, you're not messing with me. They call them they're, they're virgin goddesses, they're invulnerable. Um, so Athena and Artemis and uh, Hestia are impenetrable. That's what they're called, impenetrable. Impenetrable. And there was just this big part of me that was very attracted. Just, I resonated so much with this Artemis energy and I'm in, finally get myself to Greece. I'm in this, I'm on this little island that's like the Blue Lagoon. And I just remember I climbed up into these hills that are only goat hills where the place we're staying is sort of built into the rocks on the side of this hill with this, you know, very private lagoon there. You can only take a boat into it or hike into the goat trails with all the goat shit all over the place. Still goat trails. And um, I have this extreme experience of, Artemis. She's also known as Diana in Roman, in the Roman pantheon. And that is Wonder Woman, right? If you yes, Woman, they call her Diana. So that's a whole nother story. So I go up there and I have this experience of, of this extreme goddess. And my it happened to be that that's where I met my husband um, in, in Greece. Wow. Yeah, long <laughs> I didn't know that. He just like met this you know, I was, I was activated. Like, you know, they say this superhero was activated. I was that goddess. You're like glowing. There was a beam of light coming down from the clouds. Oh, onto you. Was like, oh. He was like, wow, I want that. So <laughs> I'll have some of that. 
we ended up uh, coming back. Long story short, we got married. I had my first kid, Zach. And then after Zach was born, I had a couple of back-to-back miscarriages. And, you know, by then I was pretty much like, I can, you know, I can make anything happen in my, in my world, you know. But there was a really, really dark time in my, in my life where after the second marriage, I was like, I married after miscarriage, I was like, what the fuck? Like, what am I supposed to do here? So I had Zach, which was like this enormous heart opening and really just this sort of like waterfall of love that just didn't stop. And I wanted more of that. And I, but it was like, every time I had the miscarriage, Lisa, I was like, I wasn't as disappointed. You know, people are like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. But I was sort of like, why am I not that disappointed? Okay. Frustrating, terrible on my body, you know, all the like physicality of it happened again, back to back. And after, I mean, it was actually more than twice, but two significant miscarriages. I was like, I just didn't know what to do with myself. And um, I was at a stoplight. And I remember I, I just started to cry and I just was like, okay, God, what am I supposed to do here? And I think that I, the part that was not so upset was like, I, I want, I want a lot of kids. I want 10,000 kids. You know, I don't just, this one kid is a lot of work. So <laughs> how how could it be that he has so much and there's so many kids who are just as just as precious who don't have anything they don't even have a chance at life you know let alone all of the things that we just take for granted health care yeah water yeah when I hear you say like that it wasn't as like heartbreaking as sort of like the people, external people expected you to be. It was like, you could feel like my reaction to it isn't quote unquote, what it's supposed to be or, or, or whatever. It's, it sounds like that you had this sort of sense of like, uh, the, like there was a, there was an incongruent order of magnitude. It was like this, I'm upset, but it's what I want is so much bigger than this, that, that this, this upset doesn't even represent sort of like what I'm really feeling is what I really want. Does that resonate with you as sort of like, there's something bigger here. It's not just about not having to have another baby. There's something bigger. And I think all those, I think there's something bigger was like all those pieces of my life were coming together, you know, like that growing up with that awareness that what's happening you know, just because something isn't happening in your front yard for you to see doesn't mean it isn't happening. That every 30 seconds a child was dying of a fucking mosquito bite, you know, that there were 20 million people that were orphaned by the, I mean, 20 million people who had died of the AIDS virus in Africa, like nobody's talking about this. And I mean, all those things just were kind of happening in my brain at the same time, you know, at the traffic light. (laughs) Well, it was sort of this collective time, like three or four months. And then I just started looking at one thing and looking at the other thing. And, you know, there were some really, really seminal moments where I'm like, do we adopt? Do we, you know, Angelina Jolie had just adopted her baby from Ethiopia. And I was, I knew what the orphan situation was there. And I mean, I started waking up in the middle of the night, hearing babies cry on the other side of the world. And I was like, I got to do something. (laughs) And that's like the Artemis activation, right? She's like, totally. I'm coming. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that, that was all kind of happening at the same time. And, you know, I had the three miscarriages and I ended up going to Africa. And today, I mean, I can say for sure that the communities that we work in, they're like a 600,000 600, people in that catchment area. It's not one village, <laughs> hundreds of villages, it's three districts. And um, literally we have empowered the healthcare community and the there and the, 
educational community. And I mean, thousands of lives have not been lost because of our work. And then, oh, well over 20,000 girls have been impacted by Girl Power Project. You know, our, our work evolved from that moment when I first got to Uganda, which we haven't talked about. <laughs> but yeah, the very first night I was in Uganda, I watched a teenage girl die in childbirth. Wow. And her baby survived. I, I tell this story quite a bit. And um, it took me a while to realize that, you know, this issue of why this girl was pregnant to begin with, it took, took me a while to ask that question, you know, because it was such a mayhem uh, from a health perspective for so many people there until it was just like, oh, this keeps happening and happening and nothing's going to change. So how do you empower an adolescent girl to stay on track, stay in school, re rebel against forced child marriage, et cetera. That's how our work evolved. But yeah, the Girl Power Project is such an amazing initiative. I didn't tell you this, but um, Bella was taking a graphic design layout class over the summer and she had to pick an organization and like uh, mock up a newsletter, a 14 page newsletter. And she chose your organization <laughs> to do it from. And, <laughs> and she learned so much in the process and it was really fun for her to, to do it on an organization where she knows the founder and, and all that. So. Wow. So, well, I would love to share that. Yeah. I told her, I'm like, you should send this to Vivian. So in our like final few minutes here, I guess, what is it that you want to share in terms of like, what's next? What's next for your mission? I mean, I started just like my child in 2006. So it's been almost a full generation. I mean, it's crazy. And yeah. it's, we've seen, and in that time, you can really see tremendous impact. And our, you know, our, our commitment has never been to own any of it, right? It's always been to create solidarity with the community, to work with them, to create best practices, to give them perspective and skill set they can incorporate into their, into their way of, of teaching and education. And so I'm tremendously proud of that because I mean, if I can digress for a minute, you know, there's just so much pushback around the world right now and, you know, how you do things and how you implement things. And I just feel like from the very beginning, our, the, the biggest payoff that we've gotten is in creating these relationships with ultimately women on the ground and just locking arms with them. Kind of like I, when I grew up in New York, it's like, I don't see the you know, yes. we're all in the same boat. We're women, right? That's like cross-sectional against the gender issues are what we have in common across the board. And um, I really feel as though that, you know, no, anything that happens now, we're in India now with Girl Power Project. We're really trying to work with the Native American community in the U.S. I love the power of the goddess energy, you know, that we all have to just break through, protect the planet, protect the kids, you know, protect relationships. And I think that's ultimately at the core of my personal mission is to just find ways to continue to engender that power that all women have that is supernatural. It is supernatural. It's a beautiful place to, to conclude. And so thank you, Vivian. This is beautiful to hear about your childhood and what you lived through. And even more beautiful to see how it has served you and how you've allowed it to serve the world. It's something really to, I hope that you are proud and feel accomplished and know how special it is. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I, I do. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Miss Goddess Vivian, for being with us on the GFR show. Well, thank you, Miss Goddess Lisa. Thank you so much for your great questions and your curiosity. <laughs> You're very welcome. Bye for now. Bye.
boy, was that an amazing ride. I feel like I was, I feel like it was a, a novel that I was listening to with, with all of the, the drama and the trauma and then the amazing happy ending <laughs> that a good novel has. That is Vivian's life. A gift to our listeners is her best-selling book, How to Change the World While You Work. And there's a cool uh, bonus that I think you're going to appreciate if you have any interest in nonprofits or, or how to raise money. You get the, a copy of the video presentation that she has used to raise $85,000 for her Just Like My Child Foundation. So when you grab your copy of the book, you'll also get a copy of that video, which is super cool. And also, we did a really a unique bonus segment for a GFR squad. You heard her talk about her cool goddess sort of encounter story. Well, we did a segment called What is Goddess Energy and How Could It Benefit You? And I really love her take on it. It's, it's very, very cool. And I kind of thinking differently now about how the different types of goddesses can help me connect with different parts of myself. Anyway, if you are not a GFR squad member yet, it's only $20 a month. And we actually meet monthly and we pick a commandment of the month and we talk. <laughs> That's my Jersey accent. It's just a really great way to be around a cool group of people who are committed to get fucking real in their lives. So to join us for the GFR squad, which I hope you will go to gfr.life forward slash squad, and we'll get to hang out every month if you'd like. And you get access to Vivian's special uh, bonus goddess segment, along with every single other guest we have has done some really unique bonuses. So that's super fun. And then one last thing, if you have not grabbed your 12 GFR commandments, please do that. Also link in the show notes. Vivian's favorite was number three. Don't worry about being normal, proper, or polite. So go ahead and subscribe to the show if you're new to us. If you are, welcome. So happy to have you here. I bet that you are here because you're supposed to make a bigger impact or help more people than you are, or just have hope while you're going through the shitstorm that is life. <laughs> to know that it has a purpose. And I, I would love for you to subscribe to the show um, wherever you might be listening to this in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Art Heart Radio, or if you're even listening on my website, I recommend go to a podcast app, look up the show, subscribe so you don't miss any of these amazing stories because it's here to keep you motivated so that you make the difference you're supposed to make. And that will make me feel like this is all worth it. <laughs> Until next time, so glad you were here.